I heard my guitar player once say, one day you have kids, you realize you're one phone call from your knees. And I was like, ooh, that's good. I'll take that. I was like, I'll take that. You know, (laughs) uh, every poet's a thief, right? You know, um, and I still give him credit. But, you know, when I wrote this song, she got the call today, went out of the gray, and when the smoke cleared, it took her breath away. I guess we're all one phone call from our knees was kind of this payoff line. And I didn't realize it at the time when I wrote that, but almost every VIP thing I do, every show or every time I'm with fans, there's always one person who's like, hey, you don't know what this song, I got this phone call and I, I can't tell you what this line meant to me. And I didn't know that when I wrote that. I was just experiencing my own journey with that. And then the power of that truth gets to have this whole journey for other people. And it has way more power than I could ever have intended it to mean. You're listening to All Things Vocal Podcast. I'm your host, Judy Rodman. Join me for game-changing vocal lessons and advice from creatives and voice industry insiders who share the secrets they've found for personal and career success. In this episode, I interview pop hitmaker Matt Carney. Join us and be inspired to make your messages matter. Hey, everybody. We are at All Things Vocal for another incredible interview today, especially with a friend of mine that I can't wait to talk to. So let me start out by telling you a little bit about him. Matt Carney was born in Eugene, Oregon. He went to California State University, Chico, at Chico's, on an athletic scholarship, but majored in literature. He traveled to Nashville with his friend and future producer, Robert Marvin, and was sleeping on somebody's couch when he first cut his experimental debut album, Bullet. When Matt showed up at our first vocal lesson, he was a brilliant freestyle rapper writing hip-hop lyrics with Christian messages informed by his journey and experiences along the way. But along with the words and grooves, there were melodies on his mind, so he wanted to grow his ability to sing instead of just rap. And he was serious. After a couple of years of vocal training, Matt was signed to a very rare dual deal on both pop and Christian labels, in pop, I think, and aware. His first major label release was the album Nothing Left to Lose, which contained some reworked songs from his debut album, along with other songs which is still on repeat for me, that bullet. (laughs) A single titled Undeniable was at the time that I remember the fastest added single in the history of Christian hit radio. VH1 kept nothing left to lose in rotation for 45 weeks, and he headlined the channel's first You Ought to Know tour. Besides headlining tours of his own, Matt has toured with John Mayer, Sheryl Crow, Train, Keen, Owl City, The Fray, Jason Mraz, Vendera Boys, Mute Math, Mako, Carrie Brothers, The Helio Sequence, and many more. He has performed in many uber major venues, including Madison Square Garden, and on TV show stages, including Letterman. Now on his sixth studio album, Matt has become a multi-platinum selling artist, and in my humble opinion, is one of the best live performers out there. His most recent release is the album January Flowers. His latest, greatest co-production with his wife is a brand new little human. (laughs) So without further ado, I'm going to catch up with my favorite Oregonian. Is that the way you say that? Oregonian. Oregonian. (laughs) Oregonian. Welcome to All Things Vocal, Matt Carney. Where are you right now? I am in my studio in Nashville, uh, which... 
where we met. And even though I still claim Oregon, I've Nashville now 20 years. So I feel like I have to adjust where I'm calling home. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I'm kind of from everywhere. And somebody asks me where I'm from these days, I'll just say Nashville because I've yep. been here so long. Okay, so I've known you for a long time, but in doing research for this interview, I discovered some missing pieces. I knew that you were a great golf player, but I didn't know about your soccer playing. <laughs> There's a lot of parallels with the voice, and we've talked about some of yeah. them, between the voice and athletics. And uh, I want to know how you think your athletic skills, as well as your majoring in literature, have influenced your music creation. Well, I think, yeah, you did help me make that uh, comparison and that connection for me. And even more, the longer I've done this, you know, since we've been working together again recently, making that connection to your body mm -hmm. and kind of the presence of what you're doing singing has been really helpful. Your, your style of teaching was really helpful to me back then because I understand kind of like pressure and rising to the occasion and communicating and, and allowing your body to be present in the moment. And a great athlete, you know, that's what you're doing. You're, you're in flow. You're kind of not thinking about anything. You're leaning on all your training mm -hmm. and uh, singing is so much more like an athlete, especially as you get older and you can't just have bad habits. It affects you more, but you have to do things properly. It's so much more like an athlete than I've, than I ever realized, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, it's almost like training for an Olympic athlete is what you have to do to, to do this at a grueling pace. You know, and now that I'm in my forties, it's like, I respect Tom Brady. Who's like, you know, eating no beans <laughs> and legumes. And I, I just relate to that a lot. Yeah. Like you want to be in peak performance for both, don't you? Yeah. And it, it's so physical. And that's yeah. what you always remind me of is it's like, it's physical and mental in that it's your, activating your lyrics, you always are telling me, why are we doing this? Like, w this isn't like a mathematical equation to get notes out of your voice. It's like, this is you communicating a message a that's message. in your heart. Right. Yeah. And, and that lyric is as much part of proper vocal training as it is this technical ability to, you know, pull from the back of your head and Man, uh, you are so lift right. and all those things. Yeah. All the technique in the world that you should learn should only be in the service of that very thing, which is delivering messages. And what's funny is it is very physical and the rest of our body is very involved. But what we're doing is we're sort of sacrificing uh, by using all the rest of the energy from the rest of your body. So you don't have to use so much energy in your vocal cords and you can just let them sort of vibrate and open to the resonation that you have that makes you sound yeah. unique. And then that creates the opportunity to send a message through your particular sound cave. <laughs> and if you get the cart before the horse and just try to be perfect at technique, well, you might, you know, be perfect at technique, but what value is that except to you? So when you yeah. use it in the service of delivering a message, and the other thing that I know you've found is that when you do that, it changes your voice, doesn't it? When you're really delivering a message, when you're really saying something, communicating yeah. something, it changes how your body works and how your articulation works and your face works and your gestures work and everything. Yes, it is so much like that. And it's interesting, our story, people won't know this, but... I came to you as a young 
kid who was just starting to sing. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was like, okay, I can't sing a show and not lose my voice. You know, if I do sing a few notes and like, I'd come from this more like spoken word. Yeah. Like I was using mm -hmm. rhythm and, and percussiveness. And so singing was real new to me. And, you know, you, you really taught me how in many ways you taught me how to sing in all, all respects. Like I remember we'd meet at your little studio. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, I had just started and I was like working at Starbucks or something. I can't remember. Yeah. And you believed in me. You were just like, uh, there was a season where I was like strapped and you came to me and you're mm -hmm. like, Hey, I just want you to know this is on me. Like, you're like, let's just, just show up. I just want to train you. And it was like, I'll never forget that. I don't even know how long it was. Trust a couple the process. Months. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you didn't even charge me for a couple months. You're like, Hey, mm -hmm. I just believe in you as a kid. I know this is like an investment. Let's go. And like, yeah, I really started this trajectory, which then obviously took off and I was doing like 250 and some odd shows for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And during that process, you know, we check in and I think before a record, I come see you, but I hadn't done it as much. And then even as my, I've had babies in the last maybe four or five years, we hadn't caught up as much. Mm -hmm. And we, we started working together again this year. And one of the things that you reminded me of so much was there is a conviction in what you're doing that also produces proper technique when you're leaning mm -hmm. on the ideas and the messages you're saying, there's a conviction that people say, and I, and I notice it in my own catalog when I'm playing songs that I just believe. And they are mm -hmm. just like, to this day, they're 15 years old, but there's songs I just bleed. And it's funny how it's easier to get in a proper place. And I could sing those songs all day. It makes me think about even the lyric I'm writing and all of the things that go into making a great vocal performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've got to show you something. I've, I've meant to get it out. I've got to show you this. Uh, she is off camera looking for something. The drama is high. <laughs> I wonder if it's the, uh, I almost know what this is going to be. A green sticker. With... Oh, yeah. The green sticker. <laughs> is that it? Yes. <laughs> yes. I knew that. Oh, my gosh. That was my first self-designed sticker that I drew with my organ duck colors, if I remember correctly. I'll put that album on in my car, and it takes me places nothing else does. And it's just oh. like, guys, the Bullet album, his first debut album was like a, like the Nashville tapes. You know, I think we even yeah. called it that. And uh, it was just Matt and some instrumentation. But it was so real and so well done. And it had that freestyle rap. Okay, that's the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Wikipedia, you know, when, when you research somebody, the Wikipedia page tends to come up first. Yes. Um, but it says your musical style now is a blend of hip hop and something they call folk pop. <laughs> That's, I'd never heard that one before. It's a weird term that I translate in my head to singer songwriter or something. Yeah. But that makes sense given that you started your musical journey writing on guitar. But your music and your lyrical phrasing and your, you know, your lyrical creation really have such an awesome pocket. A rhythmic pocket. And I happen to know that you were an incredible freestyle rapper, which is quite <laughs> a skill. If you've never done it, people, <laughs> you know, it's like improvising poetry on the spot. And uh, of course, Matt's freestyle rap had incredibly good messages in it. But 
I'm wondering how that you think has kind of continued to influence your, your music and what you like to write. Well, you know, I didn't grow up in a musical family. Mm -hmm. I didn't sing in choir, church, anything. I just, I was a soccer player and I remember my, my mom got my dad a piano for his 40th birthday. She rented this piano. He always wanted to learn piano. He said, so it showed up in our house and we have this kind of big open floor plan back in Eugene, Oregon. And it showed up one day and I was just like obsessed with this piano. I had no idea how it worked, but I just pushed buttons all day. (laughs) And I remember I sat there in our big living room, just reverberating through the whole living room, playing this piano. And this is an unmusical family and I'm sure it didn't sound good, but (laughs) I came back the next day and the piano's gone. And my mom's like, yeah, we're not going to do the piano thing. Like, it's fine. It was pretty loud. You know, your dad, he... He, you know, it was a good idea, but he doesn't really want to learn. So I just, I didn't grow up in a musical family at all. But during that season of my life, I was really into like 90s hip hop and stuff. I was a skater kid getting into trouble. And one of my good friends was this really talented graffiti artist. So he would paint these murals and there was this legal kind of graffiti wall down on the train tracks in Eugene, Mm -hmm. Oregon, where you could paint. It was open to the public. You could paint for free, whatever, you know, no one regulated it. People were like shooting up heroin behind you. It, was a, it wasn't like the greatest place you want a kid to <laughs> hang out, but we would sneak out of school and go paint. And during that time, they were all into hip hop music. So we'd put on like these instrumentals and uh, just make up songs for fun, you know, just driving back to school. Yeah. And someone would, we'd make up stuff. And all of a sudden, people were like, you're really good at this. So it just became this thing where I started doing it all the time. And I would be driving around by myself, making up songs about what I was seeing. And I just got really good at it. So that was my only introduction into music. And then when I went to college, I didn't really have a car. I didn't have instrumental tapes, but my roommate had a guitar and I would steal his guitar and I learned a couple chords (laughs) and it was just so much easier to make up a song than it was to learn what, you know, Dave Matthews or whoever was doing. So I just started writing songs and people really resonated with it. So that that kind of like home base of where I started was really my limitations were this is all I could do. I couldn't even really sing, but funny enough, when I would try to come up with a little bit of a melody, it would be the simple kind of idea mm-hmm. that people resonated as like catchy or poppy because it was right. simple. You know, it was like, right. you know, I don't know. They were Memorable. nursery rhyme. Yeah. They were like kind of nursery rhyme ish because my skill wasn't very good. And so in some ways kind of those beginnings have stuck with me and it's like, I've always loved artists that kind of had limitations and they just leaned into them, you know, like Mm -hmm. Johnny Cash wasn't a great singer, but he did his thing or Bob Dylan or Mm -hmm. Bob Marley, you know, he kind of sang similar melodies and they just kind of do their thing. And so I've always been that kind of an artist, mostly out of necessity, but yeah, that kind of more rhythmic saying a lot of words, a lot of ideas just came natural to me. And early on, it distinguished me from kind of the normal singer songwriter Mm -hmm. in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. To the point where there were several years there and really still that I can't go into the mall without hearing you. You know that? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Ross Dress for Less, I hear it there, or Home Depot. I'm the sound of home (laughs) improvement and discount fashion. That is what I am. (laughs) Hey, whatever works. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, uh, let me ask you this, and I have no idea how you're going to answer it, but I really have been wanting to ask you it. Because you have come the distance through life and through, you know, dysfunctional kind of younger life and then figuring some things out and figuring 
what your calling is and uh, yeah. kind of in finding your way, you know, through the rabbit trails. And you're not that old right now, but you've you've lived a lot of life. What do you think the core job of an artist is? Wow. I, you know, I can answer it for myself. Yeah. And, you know, at the core, it's interesting because there's the label of an artist can be a million things. You know, it can be mm-hmm. a pretty face that sings a song really good, that communicates other people's songs. There's people that are put on this earth to convey messages and there's a very small audience, but it's impactful or, mm-hmm. or even influence other artists who have a bigger platform. You know, I don't, it is a tricky idea. But for me, I feel like one of my callings is to kind of go on these honest, emotionally vulnerable journeys to kind of discover things that are difficult and maybe take bravery to look yourself honestly in the mirror, look at the people around you honestly. And by doing that kind of pioneer work in your own heart about your own things, people get to vicariously do that through themselves because not everyone can write a song or not everyone can put an emotion into in a lyric or a melody that resonates in the way they feel it in real life. But when you go on that journey for yourself and for other people, you know, the gift you get to give to people is they get to go on that journey too. And they may not know how to do that or even that they needed to go on that journey. But when they hear that song, they're like, yes, this is Mm -hmm. like cutting me to my core. And I, I think in a society, that's what artists do is they speak truth and they, speak honesty in a way that is beyond kind of a dissertation. It's like an emotional thing, you know, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it cuts to your heart before your head can even understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. And when you think about other artists like Van Gogh, and he was an artist, shall we say, yeah. you know, yeah. the public at that time didn't reward him. So no. artistry and commercial music business is not necessarily the same thing. No, but not at all. I so oftentimes they're opposed, you know. Opposed, right. Well, I right. mean, just because there's the industry. It's like, I remember I had this really successful producer. I mean, like, I won't name him because I'm about to rip on him. But, but uh, <laughs> you know, like he's na- mil- some record setting albums. And he was like, we worked together for a minute. And he was like telling me like, well, it didn't work because you weren't really willing to play ball. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Like, he's like, well, mm-hmm. we wanted the, you to do these kind of things. And I'm like, yeah. Who's the artist? Are you the artist? Like who, like I, I get that we could have done these songs that hit all of the, like check the boxes that mean kind of base humanity connects to it. Like we could have made a big Mac and of course it's going to sell a lot, but like, I don't know if I, I I feel that an artist is the opposite of that. They're, Mm -hmm. they're supposed to go on the journey that they are put on this earth for and their message is their message and their purpose is their purpose. And the producer is supposed to help fulfill that. Right. And we got this big argument in the car. I'm like, he's like, well, look at how many albums I've sold. I'm like, I get it, but I'm not supposed to be that. Not everyone's supposed to be an arena band. Like what if I'm supposed to be this person that plays theaters and like has a people that like really respond to this thing I'm trying to say, like, I don't know if I can hear that, you know? I just did a little rant on Facebook about it. It just made me feel better. I don't know who else it made feel better, but <laughs> you know what I've what I've come to believe is that when you make your prime directive money and fame and power, yeah. then you are in trouble. Even yeah. if you have a huge career, you're still a failure as a human being. But if you put artistry first, like how yeah. how excellently can I do 
what I've been called to do and yeah. given the skills to do or develop the skills. Yeah. And then if you do that and that's yeah. first, then the commercial stuff sort of comes, you know, yeah. you can't whine about it because you've got to make yourself visible. Yeah. If you just do this beautiful art stuff and nobody knows about it, well, I yeah. might play my little violin for you, but the business should be to make you and what you do visible yeah. to those who will be your ideal yeah. audiences. And if you do that, well, you win. Yes. And and it's like, there's gray in there because there's like stuff I don't want to do in my job that isn't feel connected to my heart. You know, I go play a private show for somebody that pays a lot of money. And I'm like, this isn't why I did this to play <laughs> someone's backyard for their bar mitzvah or, you know, or something. I don't know. But, but people um, are hearing you even there, you know? Yeah, no, totally. Exactly. But there is a thing where, and the funny part is, this is just for me personally, I don't know if everyone's this way, but when I write the songs that mean the most to me, they tend to be the ones that do well anyways. It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. I try to write, you know, I've spent some time in the country world and I'll write with people and we'll write this song. I'm like, okay, this will be a hit. This is what people like. And everybody hears it. They're like, that's lame. I don't like it. And then you write the song for you that you love. And then some country artist hears like, oh, I want to cut that song. You're like, no, this is my song. You can't like, th I believe this. This is like, for me, this isn't a moneymaker. And they're like, no, no, I like that. So you're like, I, it, it is funny how if you bleed it, there is something that's potent about it. Rick Rubin always says, you know, at least if you like it, there's a test audience of one that likes it. Like you're starting from, <laughs> if you don't like it and you're putting it out there, you're starting at like zero, like literally the smallest test market with your own heart doesn't like it. So like you're already starting behind the eight ball if you, even you don't like it. Right. And, and then you want to be true to yourself. I hear so many new clients that I have, especially the really young ones, you know, singing songs about murder and yeah. <laughs> even in country, you know, I'd, Hell on heels, say what you will. I've done made the devil a deal. You made yeah. me pretty, made me smart, and I'm going to break me a million hearts. I'm, you know, it's like, what? <laughs> and yeah. this little kid is singing this, and I'm thinking, Dad, yeah. what's she You're like, oh, well, I don't know if people are buying it from her. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, you know, each to their own. Maybe in that case, and I've got my own likes just like you do, but maybe in that case, the only redeeming value I can find in that song is maybe somebody was terribly abused and needs to find yeah. their power and maybe yeah. that speaks to them. So, but whatever, sometimes we're called to sing angry songs. Sometimes we're yeah. called to sing sad, deep songs, but I personally believe that every song we sing should somehow work to bring the darkness into the light. I mean, do you yeah. feel that way? Well, I, I, for me personally, I totally, Yes. And I mean, there's incredibly successful bands that don't do that. You know, they're, sure. they are just sad or, and like people, there's power and resonance in it. But for me, music was a form of therapy in some level. And it, and it mm -hmm. still is. It's like, I oftentimes will write in these heightened kind of emotional moments where I'm trying to process something or it's difficult. Oh yeah. And I will go and I'll start writing a song and I'll, I'll often like describe this, this problem or something that's breaking my heart. And I notice I do this a lot as I generally tend to turn a little like I'm searching for redemption or something in this writing of a song. And, and usually it almost always there's some twist that like rarely do I write a song that's just like I'm defeated. This is sad. And that's it. End of song. You know, there's kind of like this yearning, even if it's just like a prayer and a yearning of like, 
ah, I wish I could figure this out. You know, that's like a form of redemption that I love to yeah. come back to because it's how I feel. It's like, I just don't, I don't do well with the just here we are, you broke my heart and I'm miserable, even though that's very popular. I tend to want to be like, how am I going to figure my way through this song? Exactly. And, and a song becomes a little bit of therapy moment for me yeah. to kind of yeah. get to the other side of this difficult thing. Yeah. And I think it's just, again, back to that basic why that you have. What would you say your basic why is for, for doing your, your life? Hmm. Interesting. I had a business I mean, think- coach that, that asked me that question so that I could, you know, make my business life and my personal life sort of make sense together. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. what are you afraid of and why are you doing what you're doing? Those two yeah. questions. And it really helped me. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think I touched on it before a little yeah. bit in that I love being emotionally brave for other people in a tangible pop feeling good package. Like that's kind of like distilled a lot of my greater moments creatively, these kind of simple ideas that are, I'm going somewhere for someone in a way that they really understand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've done this so long that there's all kinds of different songs. You know, sometimes they're just simple love songs I write for my wife and that serves a purpose between two people that want to feel connected and difficult things or song called closer to love, you know, that had a lyric where I, I heard my guitar player once say, one day you have kids, you realize you're one phone call from your knees. And I was like, Ooh, that's good. I'll take that. I was like, I'll take that. You know, (laughs) uh, every poet's a thief, right? You know, um, and I still give him credit, but you know, when I wrote this song, she got the call today, went out of the gray and when the smoke cleared, it took her breath away. I don't even know how, I guess I have to sing it to remember the lyrics, but I guess we're all one phone call from our knees was kind of this payoff line. And I didn't realize it at the time when I wrote that, but I get almost every VIP thing I do every show or every time I'm with fans, there's always one person who's like, Hey, you don't know what this song, I got this phone call. You know, I found out I had (laughs) breast cancer or I I was going to lose my dad. And I, I can't tell you what this line meant to me. And I didn't know that when I wrote that, I was just experiencing my own journey with that. And then the power of that truth that I was humble enough to identify and say, yes, this is for me. Then it gets to have this whole journey for other people. And it has way more power than I could ever have intended it to mean or a bigger message than I saw in the moment writing it. And that's the real fun stuff is when you touch on something that is bigger than you dreamed of. And it's bigger than what you even saw it could be, you know? Yeah. Digging deep as my mentor, Dave Loggins used to tell me, it can't be, you can't be a spectator when you're writing. You need to be a participant. Totally. And it's funny, like that reminds me of reconnecting with you in this new season. You know, singing had become not a job and it is interesting. The longer you do it, your voice becomes how you pay your bills. Mm -hmm. It becomes how you employ staff. It takes you away from your family. It becomes all these things, you know, and when you're a kid, you're just singing for fun and there's not a lot of pressure on it. The longer you do it, it could mean, oh, if your voice isn't working, you're X amount of dollars in the hole if you can't play the show because everyone flew to this place and you bought all these tickets and all these people are coming and pr- promoters spent this Pressure. money. Yeah, and which is fine. Like, But when I reconnected with you, it was so funny. It's like someone's trying to convince you of something, but they don't believe it. Yeah, they're like chins out. Their posture's bad. Their eyes are searching. 
and it's not fun. It's like, is this going to work? It's like a guy over a golf shot. Ah, can I make this putt? <laughs> Yeah. Like no one's ever going to make that putt if they're like, I don't know if I can make this putt. But it was like when we reconnected, you were like, hey, you were reminding me of, hey, this is your communicating. This isn't that hard. Like you can do this. This is a connection of who you are. Your body wants to do this. Mm -hmm. Like this shouldn't be that hard. There's a technique we can get to, too, that makes it easier. And I remember we left that first message. This is probably, you know, beginning of the year. And I was just, I just started crying. I remember I was like, I went to my wife. I'm like. That was so fun to sing. Like, I remember that this is a place of authority and confidence. And like, I'm saying messages in a way that are coming from a place of, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, it Joy. just is like, it's been a really fun journey to reconnect with that place. And yeah. I'm singing better than I ever have. And we just did a six week tour and I was <laughs> two colds. I was sick and still just sang my butt off and you was did. like in a good place the whole time. And I was yeah. just like, this has never happened. Like I would have <laughs> been miserable the whole time. And I was like having fun, That's you know, great. doing VIP shows before the show. I don't know. It's just, I haven't sang this well in a long time. That's great, Matt. Ooh, that makes my day. You know that. Okay. Let's do a rabbit trail here. Speaking of sickness, while the COVID thing era has been going on, lots of artists, including you, I'm sure, have had to kind of be on roller skates and in different ways. And one thing I've noticed that you've done is gotten into placements in media. So how has sync factored into your career? Do you see kind of a longer stream of income there that you can tap into? I mean, yes. Historically, my music's been synced a lot, especially my first record that was synced a ton. Really? Oh yeah. Nothing Left to Lose was like one of the most, at the time, Sony was like, this is the most synced album we've had this year. Wow. Um, it kind of, when, when something catches on and then other seasons of my career, we had lulls and, you know, it is interesting right now. It is a more competitive world, the sync world than it was. Cause back then it used to be kind of more like yeah. the pop artist yeah. and the sync world were more hand in hand where there's this whole, there's this whole world of artists that just make sync music and they're really good at it. And they, they craft things that fit really good. So yeah, I've had some stuff in that space recently and it's always an amazing thing when you get licenses and mm -hmm. you have to kind of write for it a little more now than you used to, as in like the themes have to be fairly within the spectrum that fit with that the product, show. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or like a thing, you know, where, what's been the most liberating thing for me in the season of COVID was I put out two records on Columbia, put out two records on Republic, old school, major label deals. And then my last two records I put out independently with a distribution deal. And, you know, people complain a lot about Spotify and these streaming services on the writing side, which is totally true and is, needs to be figured out. But if you're an independent artist and you own your masters, you know, all of a sudden I'm seeing like just a stream of income that I've never had. And even on older stuff that people used to buy the record you know, nothing left to lose. They buy a record, you get them 10 bucks, that's it. It's in their car forever. Where now even they're starting to stream my old catalog and my new stuff. Wow. And, it, and it's like a new way to to reinvigorate even your old catalog. But for me, being an independent cool. artist and developing what that means has been the biggest boon to my creative Very cool. stuff. And yeah. financially, it's just like, you know, some of it, you have to build a career where you've got a fan base that's willing to stream your stuff or you have to, you know, figure out how to get in the Spotify world, which is a whole nother challenge. But, but that's been the real fun thing for me is owning my records and, you know, just 
making them with friends and then putting them out with mm-hmm. like a distribution partner. Mm-hmm. You've got control over it too. You can put yeah, out exactly. exactly what you want. When you want. And yeah. When you, when you want. Yeah. Well, I helped you out this morning because I got into Spotify for you. <laughs> so, and Thank I, you. I played the, uh, the January Flowers album, which I love. Yes. Thank you. All right. So tell me about co-producing with your wife and having these little humans. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Yeah, we had two COVID babies. Uh, two COVID babies. Two co- uh, <laughs> the third wasn't necessarily like totally on the plan, but we obviously weren't planning against it. But um, we didn't realize it would be that easy. But um, we, <laughs> I have three girls. Olive is my oldest. Uh, Violet is my second. And uh-huh. Ruby is a couple months old. And yeah, it's awesome. It It's a continual growing thing. You know, mm-hmm. this is the first, this was the first tour I've ever done where I, like my kids know that I'm leaving like that all of she's five now. So she's like, wait, what's happening? Like you're leaving. Yeah. So there is that we're entering that season. Okay. Like when they're one and you leave, it's like, Hey, they don't even <laughs> know you're gone. But, but she all of like got to, you know, hang out on the bus and she saw yeah. because yeah. of the way COVID works, she's five, but she has never really been to a show because I, the last tour I did, she was one. She doesn't remember it. Yeah. And then we, we did an acoustic tour that was like away from here. And then, took a couple years off. And so now she's five and she came to my first show and it was just like, I couldn't look at her without tearing up. Oh, the time. Yeah. It was like, she's sitting there and she was so interested. She just like was taking it all in. And I was just like, this is, this is pretty special. Yeah. When your kids validate you like that, there's nothing like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, tell me about playing your hometown. Was that a blast? Yeah, it was. We played, well, we played this theater in Portland. It's called the Schnitzer, which is down the road from Eugene. And it's kind of like the Ryman of Oregon, I guess. It's this big theater. And we weren't going to go for it because, you know, with COVID, it was a little bit more, it was time to be maybe a little conservative because we weren't sure how many people were returning. And they are seeing ticket sales are coming back, but they're not what they maybe historically used to be. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I don't care. We're going for it in, in Portland. Like, get the big room. You know, they're expensive. I don't know if we made any money playing it, but it didn't matter. I was like, (laughs) I just really want to do this thing. And I'd written this song called Coming Home. I wrote this song for the Oregon Ducks as a joke that I put up on YouTube and it kind of exploded. So the school reached out to me at University of Oregon. They said, hey, if you ever write a song, we could use one, you know, just to like represent us. And I was like, Mm -hmm. that's weird. I don't really write songs about football teams. Like I don't. (laughs) I don't, that's not what I do, but I, I hung up the phone. I sat down. Well, if I did write a song, I would say something about how I'd miss this place. I love. And mm-hmm. I, you know, we spread wide your arms for this wayward son. I left my heart in Oregon, you know? And, yeah. and I just wrote this song about my story Yeah. and I, I sent it to him and they're like, Whoa, this is cool. And it, and it's take on this whole journey in Oregon where that's, that's one of the songs. Some people only know me from that, you know, they like from, <laughs> from kind of the anthem of the state. Um, So yeah, it's always really special to play there. And it's the only state I can play that song. I don't play it anywhere else, but there you would think it's the biggest song. It's bigger than any of my radio hits, bigger (laughs) than any like ships in the night, nothing left to lose. Any of these songs that do well, no, it it, like just kills. (laughs) Um, So I have one city that I can play this like massive hit. uh, That's only a hit there. Sounds like you're going to have to go back. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, we do. Every time. (laughs) Good. 
All right, Matt. Well, thank you so much. It's been so much fun to catch up and and reconnect really this year like you're talking about. I just so believe in you as a human being and as an artist and with all the messages that you make people connect with themselves about, you know, your music is is a gift. So thanks for being with me. Well, and thank you, Judy. And you have been, you know, I think of my team and people that have helped me. There's no one more pivotal than what you've taught me and how to sing. And you're so good at it. You're so like, uh, <laughs> you. I've had a, I've had a few vocal coaches over the years where a label paid for it or someone else. And the way you teach that is so intuitive and physical and understandable and relatable, it's not technical for people like me that aren't trained singers and don't understand any of that, but like you can get people to sing. I just, yeah, I love it. If any of my fans hear you and want to sing, you know, I know you, I, I'm sure you're schedule's really busy with clients, but if there are gaps, I I just really, really, really appreciate you and what you do and the gift you are to this Nashville music community and to my own career. So thank you. It's my honor to be here with you. You got it. And you know, I'm always in your back pocket where your phone is if you need (laughs) it. I know that. (laughs) Okay. Bye, Matt. Bye. All right. That does it for this episode. Find Matt, his tour, and his music, including his latest album, January Flowers, at mattcarney.com. M-A-T-K-E-A-R-N-E-Y.com. Find out what I can do for your voice and contact me at judyrodman.com. Also, join me at the Facebook page for this podcast. Just look for the link in the notes. See you next time for All Things Vocal, the podcast for voices with messages that matter.